So as I said, I'm a computer engineer, which means I do computery things. And one thing that I do is look at the million dollar question. Now, I know most people probably do not know what any of that means, but to explain it quickly, problems are divided in, in computer science, problems are divided into different classes. Uh, the two that we see up there is the P class, which stands for problems that can be easily solved by a computer, and the NP class, which are problems that can't be easily solved, but you can easily check if the answer is correct. Uh, for example, a computer cannot easily solve if a password, or can't easily guess a password, but it can check if the password is correct. Now, the question revolves around how these two classes relate to each other. On the left, we see P being a subset of NP, and on the right, we see P and NP as the same thing. Now, the right is terrifying, because if that's true, then that means any problem that can be checked efficiently can be solved efficiently. So in other words, if your password can be checked efficiently, it can be guessed quite efficiently. So the entirety of the internet security relies on the right graph being wrong. Now, unfortunately, everything we do know about um, this question suggests the left is correct. But nothing says the left is truly how they relate. There's nothing actually saying the left is correct, the right is wrong. There's just stuff saying the left seems correct. No one has proved the right is correct. The left just seems correct. Which makes some people a bit uncomfortable on the actual answer to this question. If you really want to be conspiracy theories about it, someone, perhaps someone has actually solved it and actually is the right answer on the right, but they didn't tell anyone. And we all still believe the left is correct, but no, someone out there knows. They just haven't told anyone. Or suppose that you know, the right, no one knows in the past, no one knows right now, but nothing says the left is going to be correct in the future. It's a cause of just not really knowing and where it's heading and that being a little frightening. And sometimes God's intentions can be that way too. So here we are, 10 days after we have celebrated Easter, to celebrate that God has forgiven us our sins through his actions. Yet, the world's still sinful, we're still sinful, and it's been like that for 2,000 years. Um, and even 40 days after the resurrection, um, Peter asked Christ, is now the time you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Peter's been with Jesus for three years. He's seen the man do miracles, not sin, and rise from the dead. And he's even not quite sure about God's intentions a few days afterwards. So where does that leave us 2,000 years after all of this has happened? And if we're doubting God's intentions now, what makes us not doubt what God has done in the past? Or his promise to come, return in the future, or bring us home, if he comes or brings us home. Put shortly, the quicker works. What are God's intentions? Now, fortunately, the Bible, we have the Bible, and we do have an answer in it. We have an answer in Hebrews 11, 1, that is, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of we don't see. And that is a lousy answer. Don't get me wrong, it's a great answer, but 
The entirety of religion is based off faith. The entirety of Christianity is based off faith. And the entirety of Lutheranism, especially based off faith. The only reason you go to heaven is because of faith. So it's a bit lazy of an answer just to say, oh, have faith in it. At least when you take it for just itself. Because the Bible is made of many verses. And all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. In this case, knowing God's intentions. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I love this verse. I could do a podcast on it. But that's not the point. The point is the first few words. God, and we know in all things God works for the good of those. God works for good. God works good. Now, I know someone out there is probably thinking, well, it certainly doesn't work physical good. I mean, you're kind of right. If you're a student, and most of you are, you're probably thinking now that finals are coming up, God does not work mental good or emotional good. And to some extent, you're right, because God is not primarily a physical God of wood and stone. God is not primarily a mental God of idea and thought. God is not primarily an emotional God of cathartic music or the end of Marley and Me. No. God is primarily a spiritual God, who is mostly concerned with your spirit, your soul. God works for the good of those. God works good. God works spiritual good for those who have been called according to his purpose. First the Jew, then the Gentile. So, everyone. But it doesn't just stop there. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, I'm going to guess no one here has 12 Lamborghinis. If you do, fair enough. But everyone here does have clothes. We're in an HVAC building. There's a snack outside waiting. If you're on the stream, maybe you have none of those, but you clearly have some access to streaming capabilities. Quaid's doing a little hand pip thing. That's always great. Sorry, for those on stream, I like to call it Quaid. He's a nice guy. <laughs> but God does bless us physically because God works good. God works good for us. Which really brings us to the fulfilled promise. Clicker again. Oh, there we go. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God is not, does not need everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. God does not require everyone to be saved. God desires everyone to be saved. Because God wants everyone to be saved. Everyone is us. God wants us to be saved. Saved is a good state. God wants good for us. And we know this isn't just you know, ambition without determination, words without actions. I mean, we know that. I do. You know, too. And we know why. Because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our sin, God wants good for us. God wants good for us. And he didn't just, just say that. He also, through his life, death, and resurrection, God works good for us. And if God wants good for us, and God works good for us, 
then certainly somewhere between God intends good for us. God's intentions are good. Which leads us to the final promise. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. I prepare a place for you. I will come back. I will take you with me. I want to prepare, come back, take you with me. I work to prepare, come back, take you with me. I intend to prepare, come back, take you with me. God intends that. And even though that was not just said, I mean, this was said 2,000 years ago, we know it's still relevant. Because even though Christ did say this much time ago and things change over time, Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So it is not God wanted good for us, not God worked good for us, God intended. It is God works, God wants, God intends. And we know that to be true. In the end, God's intentions are good, and they consistently are good. If you have faith, because that's the giant caveat of Christianity, of Lutheranism, of this whole argument, because we are trying to judge God's intentions based off his own word and hoping that he is not just blowing himself up. But if you do have faith, even a mustard seed of faith, then you know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to purpose. God works good. You know God wants all men to be saved. You know God wants good for us. And even though our sins are like scarlet, God wants that good, God intends that good, and through his life, death, and resurrection, God works for that good, so that our sins are white like snow, and we are all heirs of heaven, which we can be sure of, because God prepares, God will come back, and God will take us back. If you have faith. For those who know me a little more, I have a Thanksgiving journal I do. Uh, the one on the screen is the more official version. So that's the one you do for like a year. Um, the one I have going is just, I've been doing it indefinitely since my first year in the dorms. So instead of 300 days, it's more like 1,300 days. Um, it's been quite a journey. And when I go back and look through the book, because I am physically writing each day, um, sometimes I look back and I see something that, you know, it was very obviously a good thing I'm thankful for. Some days, not so much. You know, some days, it's something that either was kind of painful then or is painful to look back at now. But what I do see, regardless of what day it is, I see 1,300 times God blessed me in one way. And that's just one time for one day each day. Is that proof of God's attentions? No. But it does make that faith a little easier to have. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are they who take refuge in him. We pray. God, good and merciful Father, thank you for bringing us through this day and through this night from all harm and danger. Though we are sinners, chief of them, for that matter, through your life, death, and resurrection, you forgive us of all our sins. We pray that not only may you open our eyes to see the majesty of your will, but also to look to you for guidance 
every single step, every minute, every hour of each day. Amen.